Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hello, it's Monday the 18th of September. I'm Miranda Sawyer, back once again like a renegade master. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to Paper Cuts, the modern newspaper review, where we put a big pile of UK newspapers on a therapist's couch then analyse their problems and right-size their triumphs, (laughs) all whilst pulling faces behind their backs. And we're getting some lovely reviews from you listeners. A simply fabulous way to keep up with the news, says one, which is great, as simply fabulous is how I sign off my emails. (laughs) We're out mid-morning every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, so hit subscribe on your favourite podcast app and you'll never miss an episode. Now, here are the headlines for today's show. Russell Brand denies accusations of rape, sexual assaults and abuse, accuses papers of coordinated media attack. Guess who's back? The B-word, Brexit, is back on the front pages as Keir Starmer says he'll seek a major rewrite of the Brexit deal if Labour get into power. And paperback shysters. There's a lot of celebrity books out there, but the celebrities aren't writing them. Welcome to Paper Cuts. We read the papers so you don't have to. Thanks for joining us on Paper Cuts, where we know all the answers to the cryptic crossword clues. I'm Miranda Sawyer, and joining me on the show today is writer and recent Huey Morgan fan, John Elledge. Hello, John. Hello. <laughs> I like the way these intros are getting more and more baffling for anyone who doesn't follow me on Twitter. <laughs> yes, just consult Twitter. Also, We're with... not going to explain it. <laughs> also with us is comedian and longtime Huey Granty fan, Grania Maguire. Hello, Grania. Hello. Uh, in the words of David Cassidy, before he left the Partridge family, <laughs> I'm just very happy to be on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, John, what do we have on the front pages today? What are our headlines? So The Guardian has uh, Unite launches red wall push for more radical Labour policies. That's probably not the story you were expecting. Over in the eye, it is the story you were expecting. An open secret, Russell Brand broadcasters face questions over failures. And the Sun has similarly gone with Be Probe Demon Brand. Mm. Okay, yes, one story dominating. Gronya, what do you have? So, uh, the Daily Mirror, what did TV chiefs know? Brand predator in... Uh, inverted commas, claims. Mm. The Times also, leading with that story, brand faces more claims. And then the Daily Star, also tackling a very big issue, Hurricane Lee storms in with fortnight's rain in day. Headline, Britain on the Lash. Yeah, nice headline. We like that. Now, dominating the papers yesterday and today is the Times and Sunday Times investigation into comedian-turned-online anti-establishment wellness guru Russell Brand. Four women have accused him of separate sexual crimes between 2006 and 2013, including rape, sexual and emotional abuse. He denies it all and insists that his sexual relationships have always been consensual. He released a video on Saturday refuting the claims and accusing the media of joining forces against him in a, quote, coordinated media attack. 
This is indeed a joint investigation by The Times, The Sunday Times and Channel 4's Dispatches, which brought out a 90-minute documentary on Saturday about brand called Hiding in Plain Sight. So, John, why have these media outlets all come together? I think it speaks of two different things, one of which is investigative journalism is is really hard. It's resource intensive. You have to put a lot of reporting time into it and you don't know when it's going to produce a story. You don't even know if it's going to produce a story. So in the age of the internet, papers have cut back on the resources for such things. The other thing is that it is just really hard to get a story like this where there are so many uh, legally actionable points to it potentially over the line. So as far as we can tell, the Times and the Sunday Times were you know, both looking into some of the allegations surrounding Brand separately. They kind of got wind of this because they're, you know, they're part of the same family. So they joined up. Uh, later on, um, dispatches came in too as you know, the Channel 4 programme. Um, and it's slightly a safety in numbers thing, I think. It's partly that between them they've got more reporters they can throw at it, more report, more reporting time they can throw at it. But it is also just like if you've got multiple media outlets behind a story, uh, double checking each other's reporting, it is easier to get a story that has, you know, both potential libel concerns and potential privacy concerns over the line to the point where it's safe to put out there. Yeah, exactly. It needs to be legal from top to bottom. And Absolutely. lawyers cost a lot of money. So you need that kind mm. of lawyers from all three different kind of uh, media places in order to be able to, to stand it up. It did take a long time. I mean, you know, the, it, the years, 2019, yeah, 2019, the Sunday Times started to, started investigating it. There's hours of interviewing. In the Times, there was a, an article just to try to explain how long it took. Hours of interviewing the alleged victims, hours of going through uh, corroborating evidence. It's a very difficult thing. Investigations into so-called open secrets are one of the very hardest stories to tell. Why would that be? So, I mean, the standards of proof required under British libel law are pretty, pretty high. It's a long time since I've, I've, I've studied this, but as I understand it, as I recall every time I'm sitting in front of a laptop writing anything, um, all, all, the, all the person accusing you of libel has to demonstrate is that you said a thing and that it has damaged them. That's a fairly low standard of proof. Whereas if you're the person who's writing, if you're the person publishing it, if you're the organisation rather publishing it, then you have to get, you have to essentially be able to prove the truth of what you have said to a, I think it's the civil standard rather than the criminal one, but that's much, much harder. It's not, it's not simply a matter of being able to write stuff down. You have to be able to prove it in court. So a lot of the time, this stuff goes unreported because people know they do not have that standard of evidence yet. Even if their confidence is true, they do not have the lawyers. To be honest, sometimes as, as, as a writer, you will pull your punches because it's just like, I am as confident as I can be that this thing is true. I am not confident I can prove it in the court of law. And even if I was, I do not have those kind of resources. And in, and the fact is that if you are sued, the uh, publication gets sued, so the publisher gets sued, and the editor gets sued, and then you, mm. you the lowly journalist, get sued. So and your, your life, house is on the line. <laughs> it's life-ruining sums of money. Yeah, yeah. It could literally, they could literally take your assets away, and that's generally your home. Yeah. Okay, well, I think we should look a little bit at the reaction between what is often called the mainstream media, which we've seen, it's all over the mainstream media, but how it contrasts with what's being said on Twitter. Gronya, you made a, I have to say, a great joke on Twitter about <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, pretty good in the, in the, in, in, under the circumstances, which is uh, you made a joke about the Dispatches show, another all-male comedy lineup again, typical Channel 4, excellent joke, 
Five stars. <laughs> so uh, Twitter has reacted very differently to this story, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, there were sort of rumours in the comedy community. We knew something was was about to happen. There was sort of tweets or people texting each other. We knew dispatches. Something was coming out. And there was a real sense of uh, excitement, for want of a better word, sort of reflected in, in Twitter where yeah. people were guessing of from the rumours that they had heard in their own sort of community who it was that could be exposed. Yeah. It was sort of a, a Marvel Avengers of possible suspects. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, if you start naming people on Twitter... Mm. And there is, and it is not that person even that is in the paper. And obviously, Russell Brand denies these allegations as well. So you can't. I mean, you, if you name lots of different people on Twitter because you think there might be something a bit off with them, then that is really libelous, isn't it? But I, do people think about that? I mean, do oh, I don't know. I know there has been some famous cases in the past of people sort of uh, facing legal consequences for what they say on Twitter. But I feel like. It's sort of a liminal space where we kind of forget other people can read our tweets. Yeah, it's just weird. It's just, <laughs> social media is so weird for that, isn't it? I mean, Twitter also was saying, like, if, okay, you're investigating Russell Brand, why now? And they get very kind of conspiracy theories about it, don't they? They do. I mean, often the the answer to why now is because now is the time that somebody has assembled the level of, <laughs> yeah. the level of evidence required to publish it. I imagine there will be people investigating some of those, some of those other names. Um, they just haven't got to that point yet. Uh, but it is sort of, I've been fascinated by some of the dynamic on Twitter where firstly there's kind of a conspiratorial community who who've come from different bits of politics but are now kind of united around the idea that this is an attack by the mainstream on an outsider yeah as if I mean I think as, as if someone like Russell Brand was not very much mainstream a few years ago he was yeah I mean he isn't now I have to he, say no, but I mean is, yes Elon Musk he, Lawrence Fox Andrew Tate Tucker mm. Carlson Neil Oliver but he's like a very, he's a him. rich, extremely wealthy man. The idea that he's mm. some sort of underdog for the working classes or for like these alternative systems of politics, I think is, yeah. it, it says a lot for how Russell Brand has been able to cultivate a new audience. So, the, I mean, so basically he has a massive career on, online and, and those who support him believe he's being shut down because he questions the mainstream. Mm -hmm. He's anti-COVID vaccine. He questions the Ukraine war. Um, and actually, Elon Musk removed his name from the trending bar which is, on X, which, which is, is so weird. OK, should we look at the law itself? A lot of other people are saying, why didn't these women go to the police? Well, I think, I mean, if anybody wants to cheer themselves up, look at the rate of convictions when it comes to the sort of things that Russell Brand has been accused of. A lot of people have been saying that on Twitter, why didn't they just go to the police? And I think it, that is a really good question. Why didn't they just go to the police? What a good question. Mm. Uh, why are rates of conviction against uh, men accused of sexual assault so low? And why did they feel their only chance of any sort of justice is through journalism, that is a very good question. It is, and it has. To, I mean, you know, it obviously points to a failure amongst the kind of uh, the, the the police and convictions and the and the CPS to approve police making a charge. But also, it does point to journalism being quite a good thing. If this, if these, mm. if these are in the end proved to be correct, then it's. It, I feel very. Uh, happy that the press exists, that, the, that people can go to talk to. Yeah, to kind of circle back to where we 
started about how how intensive the resources required to do this kind of journalism are. It is one of the the sad things about the fact that the media is not as profitable and news is not as profitable in the industry as it once was, is that it does mean there's less of this investigative work going on because it can be so expensive. It doesn't necessarily land. But when it does, you have like a huge sort of world shaping story. It, it would be nice if we had more of this, to be honest. Yeah. Gronya, I'm going to talk comedy with you. So one comedian, Daniel Sloss, was uh, he w- went on the Dispatches uh, program and was also quoted in the Times and the Sunday Times um, as saying that uh, female comedians have WhatsApp groups mm-hmm. to warn each other about comedians who they've had unpleasant experiences mm-hmm. with, including kind of sexually predatory behaviour, which is a bit grim. I mean, it's kind of sisterly, but a bit grim. Um uh, do you know about these groups? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, there were several uh, female comedian WhatsApp groups that I was in that were explicitly set up just to warn people about dodgy men on the circuit. And I remember it's the only time I've ever felt powerful in a room full of male comedians and comedy writers is every now and then I can go, oh, no, um, I always stick up for you on that group. Don't worry about it. <laughs> feeling in the world (laughs) but it's the comedy industry like a lot of industries if there's no HR there's no there's no real accountability your power is only from your perceived clout the perceived buzz around you your if people are making money off you people don't really care like they do not care I think my tip on how to resolve this is I think people in the industry should treat male talent who have rumours about sexual impropriety the same way they treat female talent once they turn 35. <laughs> I think that is what they need to do. Be like, OK, I know you're doing quite well, but like, it's, we like to shake things up and we have to introduce new voices and yeah. bye-bye. Yeah, see ya. <laughs> The media today is um, a lot about what should have been done, what should be done by those who employed Russell Brand. So it's like about the BBC. It's also about um, Endemol, which is now Banerjee UK, which was the production company that made the E4 show that he was on. Um, there's there's a lot of furore. I mean, you know, Beeb probe demon brand, it says on the on the cover of, uh, of The Sun. So the, the idea is that there should be an investigation to those who employed him. Yeah, which is interesting because um, the the BBC producer he worked with um, actually sort of left the BBC over the scandal in what was it two thousand and nine? Yeah, the thing where he crank called um, Andrew Sachs' granddaughter. No, he. Well, what happened was um, so he um, he had a radio show mm-hmm. on uh, first on Six Music and then on Radio Two, and during this time he it was a pre record, so he did it, and somebody could have checked it. He phoned up Andrew Sachs, who played Manuel in. Uh, faulty right, yes. towers and kind of gloated, left a message on the answer phone. Him and Jonathan Ross kind of gloating that Russell Brand had slept with his granddaughter. And um, actually, the um, head at uh, Radio Two Six Music, Leslie Douglas, resigned because of it. So there were there were consequences, but it seems like they, they they kind of want more consequences. Yeah, I mean, I think to some extent this is a lot of the papers, not just those owned by Rupert Murdoch, but especially those. Uh, would take any excuse to attack the BBC because it is in some way a rival. But also I think there is an attempt to kind of like, we're already on 
or day three of this story, mm. there is also an attempt just to kind of move things on. As, as we've said from the, the start of this, it has taken years of reporting to get this far. It is kind of difficult for newspapers to come up with a fresh angle on it two days later and saying, oh, accountability from broadcasters is, is just a way of solving that problem. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, on the E4 show, one of the allegations was that they allowed people to hand out his number to members of the TV audience. It's just, what I find extraordinary is like, like we were saying earlier, Russell Brandt, he was never that good a comedian. Do you know what I mean? He wasn't like this once in a generation talent that had to be treated by with kid gloves. He was very much created by TV producers. He was given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity and just indulged. Now, on the front page of The Eye today is an opinion piece from Lucy Mangan about, quote, the farce of celebrity books. This concerns a new novel, 19 Steps, which has supposedly come from the mind and keyboard of actress Millie Bobby Brown, who plays Eleven in Stranger Things in Enola Holmes in Enola Holmes, except she hasn't written it. I mean, she is a bit busy, I suppose. <laughs> Gronya, what's this about? <laughs> well, so, OK, here's the thing. Just set the story up. I'm a very stupid person. And genuinely, uh, a few years ago, I think, do you know what, Katie Price, fair play to her. She, she's got more focus than I thought because she's always bringing these memoirs. Many, out. many, <laughs> many, many memoirs. <laughs> and you know, as somebody who dabbles in writing, I'm like, it's quite hard. Like even something that's badly written is so hard to write. And, you know, from what I read excerpts, it makes sense. There's a structure to it. It's all <laughs> spelt right. It's like, where does she find the time? And then I discovered a little thing called ghostwriters. So the majority of books that are on the top 10 list, the majority of books that are you see in supermarkets, WH Smith are memoirs, celebrity memoirs, and the majority of them are not actually written by the face that you see in the front. Mm. They're written by incredibly talented ghostwriters. Now that's usually in memoirs. Now we're starting to have ghostwritten fiction. So this is sorry, Millie Bobby Brown's debut novel, 19 <laughs> Steps. Except if you went into her, her little trailer, you wouldn't have seen loads of post-it notes and things <laughs> scribbled out and, you know, her crying over a laptop because it was actually written by Catherine McGurl, who has written 14 other fiction novels. Yeah, so she's pretty good. She knows she, what she's doing. She knows what she's doing. So fiction has become like just another part of somebody's brand that they can bring out. Yeah. You know, someone else can do it for you. Your, you've got your perfume range. You've got your makeup range. You've got your <laughs> literary fiction range. So um, very interesting. Ghostwriting is a hard thing. I know one, who, a friend of mine did a, a kind of, you know, ghostwrote a, a celebrity's memoir. And so she was hired. And so what has to happen in those things is you do the interviews and you interview people about their early days. You know, you can imagine what you do, really. But the person that she interviewed um, just couldn't concentrate and wouldn't come off her phone. And you thought, oh, it's something really important. Was just playing Candy Crush. Oh, my God. <laughs> so she was like going, so should we talk about your childhood? And she'd go, oh, hang on a minute. I'm just, you know, it's just, it was really, really hard. Did this make it into the, the memoir? It's it like not. a chapter on how hard it was to get that banana or something. No, it, right. did, it did not. And she she got an acknowledgement. But I do know people who've written very well, you know, big selling books, memoirs, who don't even get a mention at all, not even like, you know, in the credits at all, which must be 
gutting, I think. I don't know. I suspect, I mean, it's, it, does, it doesn't appeal to me. Like well, one of the reasons I like writing for a living is because I like people on the internet saying, hey, you're great. <laughs> um, <but laughs> and you like writing. <laughs> I did, yeah, no, I, do, I, I like having written. Um, but like, <laughs> I, I would think if you're, if you're a ghostwriter, then like you're not, you're not primarily doing it for the credit. Yeah. I think you're probably mainly interested in the paycheck. It's true. Rather than where you fall in the acknowledgements. Yeah, it's true. If you've got an ego, which, John, you have, yeah, I, so do I. <laughs> That's why we like our names on our pieces. Yeah. Then, yeah, ghostwriting is not for you, I don't think. Now, here at Papercuts, we love a brilliant headline, and so do you, as we well know, which is why every week in our Fix the Headline competition, we offer you an excellent story with a less-than-excellent header. On Friday, we gave you a piece from The Sun, disclosing the exciting news that a meteor crater had been found on an Irish beach, only for a local to explain that he'd made the hole using a kid's spade. (laughs) The Sun's headline was, Meteor site was hole dug by Joker. We knew you could do better, and you did. On X, Max Harvey offered Planet of the Japes, Paul O'Neill, Spade Oddity, and David Reimer, Sky Fool. (laughs) Jerome K. Jerome gave us the Beatles-esque, Lovely Feet, a Meteor Maid. That's so sweet. You don't know this, do you? <laughs> they read to me to made, you see. And Nick Horn, the more prosaic, meet your shite. On threads, Ingrid Sederson tried crater creator is an excavator faker. But the winner is Keith Dowsett with the frankly excellent bucket and space. Send us your size and your address, Keith, and we will ping you a truly beautiful and highly exclusive Papercuts t-shirt as modelled by John right here, which you can wear to work and play like the boss man you are. Now, what of the actual papers today, Gronya? Do any of them have anything as good as Keith's headline? Uh, well, no, the boss has spoken, but <laughs> sort of trailing in his wake, there is a lovely story about Kim Jong Un having a lovely holiday in Russia, and he's wearing a very nice Russian hat. And the headline is Third World Leader." Very good, and that's in the mirror. What else do you have in the lovely <sighs> star? Uh, so, uh, in the Daily Star, there's a story about an angler who caught a 7.5 inch seahorse, Ooh. seven and a half even. <laughs> and the headline is Catch of the Nay. Very good. Well done, the star. Very good. Okay, John, what do you have? So the sun has, uh, weather's always a good source of news, isn't it? It, it <laughs> yeah. rained a bit over the weekend, particularly in Devon. A month's rainfall is in 24 hours at end of heat wave. Uh, the sun's headline is, it's wet timber. Aha, uh-huh. <laughs> very good. Sticking with the sun, page three, page three is not what it used to be, uh, has a story of Rory Stewart having once got himself locked into a toilet when he was the tutor to Princes William and Harry. Uh, there is a lovely Photoshop. I don't know if you can pick it up there. Just try, try not to look at the, the woman in her underwear. Um, anyway, the headline is MP Rory locked in King's Throne. Yeah, which is really funny because that picture makes him look like he's sitting on the toilet, like in a big in garden. Just, he's not locked anywhere. I mean, I think if the royal family want to go to the loo outside, whose business is that other than theirs, really? Um, there is actually... A, a, Surprisingly, there is a second story about the bathroom habits of the royal family. Uh, back in the star, page 14, um, about uh, Doncaster race courses where uh, Charles and Camilla were at the weekend. Uh, they installed uh, a special toilet just in case the king needed to go. Um, the headline is VIP Charles has royal wee. That's very good. That Play is on P good. and we. 
Also, it's interesting he's still Charles. He's king. He's been king for a year. We didn't put, I mean, I suppose they did sometimes put Liz for the queen, but generally speaking, there was a bit more respect, I think. But I just think Charles III was right there. (laughs) (laughs) An Irish woman speaks. (laughs) I'm David Baddiel. I'm a writer and a comedian and a Jew. I'm Saeed Avasi. I'm a businesswoman and a politician and a Muslim. Jews and Muslims always seem to be in the news or on the news. Lots of people talk about us and this is us talking about ourselves. The kind of things that people say don't touch, we are going to go there. I mean, I think Jews and Muslims are talking about these things, but I think they're not talking about them together because they're worried that if they do, sparks might fly. A Muslim and a Jew go there. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Now, I feel like we should do this. <laughs> On the front page of The Guardian and the Financial Times are two stories about, this is a genuine surprise, actual Labour policies. The, the Financial Times headline says, Labour government would seek to rewrite Brexit deals, Starmer pledges. And The Guardian says, Unite launches Red Wall push for more radical Labour pledges. John, that's at least two pledges. What's going on? So these stories, I mean, we've bundled them together because they are around a theme, but they're actually quite different. The, the FT one is uh, Keir Starmer is at a, a meeting of centre-left leaders in Canada. Uh, and he has said that the, the Brexit uh, trade deal comes up for renewal in 2025. He has said for the first time, I think, that, you know, he will want to renegotiate that, get a slightly closer relationship with with Europe. He's saying we're still not going to go back into the single market or the customs union, let alone the EU itself. But nonetheless, this is this is a sign of movement that a Labour government would want a better relationship with Europe. Uh, meanwhile, the Guardian story is actually about uh, Unite, who's a trade union, one of Labour's biggest financial backers. Uh, trying to put pressure on the party by diverting some funds that would previously have just gone to Labour to specific campaigns on issues around um, uh, greening the steel industry. That's very much going to be it in, in, in Wales and also places like Scunthorpe on, on also um, supporting the oil and gas industry in Scotland. The reason these two are actually kind of the same story is that what we are seeing here is... Um, Power is draining away from the people who are currently in government. Uh, there was a lovely feature a couple of days ago where Rishi Sunak still thinks he can win an election. Bless him. Uh, but what is actually <laughs> happening is this is this is this is Starmer as prime minister in waiting. Uh, shall we give a whoop? <laughs> <laughs> whoop go Keir. So Grania, are you pleased that Brexit is back, back, back? <laughs> I'm sorry. Look, speaking as somebody, a proud owner of EU passports, on behalf oh, of Europeans, girls, move on. <laughs> We don't care. We don't miss you. Uh, We don't care. I'm sorry. Oh, God. My favourite thing about going on holidays with my husband is the passport queue. My English husband with his sad little British passport and I just zoom by. And then I always try and come up with like different things I can do in duty free while he's still in the queue. It saved our marriage. (laughs) I love it so much. So uh, thank you. I'm a big fan of Brexit just for that experience. (laughs) and that's the end of today's paper cuts thanks to john thank you and thanks to grant thank you thanks for listening and don't forget to follow paper cuts on your favorite podcast app if you really like us then leave us five stars on spotify and apple and a taylor swift plus beyonce multiplied by Billie eilish review you can also follow us on x and instagram at paper cuts show the links are in the show notes I've been Miranda Sawyer, and you've been listening to Papercuts on a day when The Guardian reveals that US military officials have appealed for help from the public to find a missing 
presumably crashed, fighter jet (laughs) (laughs) after the pilot ejected over South Carolina and it continued to fly. Why are we dumping that in the kind of and finally bit? I want to know about this story. (laughs) Tough luck. (laughs) See you next time. (laughs) 